Good evening. Welcome again to another episode of the Three on Three podcast, Overtime Edition. Don't be joined by a former Cardiff Devil, Sheffield, and Dundee Stars player, Chris Blight. Evening, Blight. So how are you, my friend? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, we're all good. Been looking for having you on for a little while, so thank you for giving up your time and uh, joining us this evening. Uh, I'll talk obviously a bit about your career, um, being in the UK, etc., and stuff as well, and how it kind of came about. Of course, first point of uh, call with Cardiff uh, back in the BBT days. Came across with your your mates Faulkner, of course, and Tyson Marsh. Talk about how that move kind of came about and how you guys all ended up together in Cardiff that one season. Yeah, that was a, a really exciting summer for us. I know um, previously before that, Mac and I played together in Italy, um, which was the first time we played together professionally. We'd played together before in in university, um, and we had talked about playing together again in the UK and, and doing our MBA. So to have that opportunity was amazing, and then to get Tyson to come as well. And I ended up living with Tyson that first year, which was a blast. Um, it was just a really, really exciting time. And honestly, probably my favorite year of hockey was that first year in Cardiff. Yeah, absolutely. And yourself and Falks had a great chemistry. Clearly you played together before. That was obvious from the first few games you played. And yeah. Falks got a lot of credit for the goals he scored, but you were kind of the guy <laughs> in the corners, digging the puck out, obviously, and giving him all the glory yeah. as well. Yeah. So clearly it was a good first season. Um, the club, not the best of clubs to be playing for in the UK, admittedly, at the time. You must have had offers after that first season, but you decided to stay loyal to Cardiff and you came back. I know you met Sarah, I'm guessing, at that yeah. point. You probably met Sarah. So uh, was there a temptation yeah. to go to a bigger club at that point? Yeah, certainly Sarah was um, a big part of that decision, obviously. Um, you know, I, she's my wife now. We have kids. And, uh, you know, I think at the time... We had just started dating, but um, I did have offers to leave and go to sw- uh, Sweden, actually, for uh, it was a really good offer. And and um, also uh, Sheffield called as well um, at the end of that season. Um, so, you know, there were offers to leave, but, um, you know, my heart was in Cardiff. And, and um, you know, at that point, uh, the money difference isn't huge. You know, maybe... It looked huge at the time, especially this, the the Swedish offer. But um, at the end of the day, like you just want to go where you're going to enjoy yourself. And I've said this a million times. Cardiff's probably my favorite city in the world. I think it's just an amazing city. I I love going back there every year with um, Sarah to visit family, and I still, you know, meet up with old friends like Hilly and uh, the Georges and and those guys and yourself as well. And, you know, I met you met with you met with you last time. I think I saw you was in Toronto actually though when you came to visit. Uh, yeah, a few years back, but uh, I got to start reaching out when I get there at Cardiff as well. But um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. I enjoy the city, and I just for me, it was just a no brainer to come back. And you know, I thought we had a really good team that year. People forget that. I know it was a tough year, um, but parts of the year we were second place and and pushing for the top. And when when we were all healthy, and we had Paul Bissonnette on the team, and obviously he was uh, a, you know a great player for us and a character and. Um, you know, we went to the playoff final weekend that that year, and we pushed uh, Nottingham right to the brink there. We ended up winning it, right? So we, you know, and if you look at our lineup that game, I always laugh. If you want to see a really depleted lineup, go look at our lineup versus Nottingham in that semifinal game. You'll be shocked when you read the names versus what they had on the ice. We were missing a lot of our key players, including including Faulkner to injury, right? So it was a, it was a tough go for us, but um, I thought we we pushed really hard to to win that series versus Brayhead in the playoffs and then move on to the finals. 
Yeah, I remember that game. I remember being near the glass. I was kind of maybe fourth or fifth row. I remember looking around. I mean, you actually were looking around yourself as if to say, like, holy shit, we've got no players. Because you looked at our line yeah, yeah. and it was maybe uh, 13 skaters and you're looking at Nottingham, four full lines pretty much. And you pretty much yeah. carried that team of that weekend all by yourself as well. Well, we, um, we had um, a good line with Stu McRae and Max Beerbrier. So, G just like like... We just loaded up one line, and basically we had to score four or five goals a game for us to be <laughs> be in it. Unfortunately, we were able to do that, so that that that's uh, that was a fun playoff run. Yeah, I'm a great great player. You mentioned Biz. Um, yeah, from memory, I'm pretty sure you were the guy that kind of brought Biz to the to the UK. Well, at least at a word, yeah. in, and and look what he's doing now. He's like the second highest podcast in the UK today. Bless him after our podcast. So he's gone yeah. to okay things compared to you know playing in Cardiff. Talk a bit about how that came about. Yeah, we were, um, obviously teams were signing NHL players at the time. Um, they were on lockout and despite our, uh, lower budget, uh, G was told that, you know, they were willing to sign a, a player. Paul Reagan was going to sign an NHL player, but we needed one that was going to be, uh, have cheap insurance. So we need like a league minimum player. And I was like, okay, fine. What do you want? Do you want a forward D? Like, what are we looking for here? And they're like, anything. And I'm like, well, I think I got the perfect guy. Cause like, Biz can do everything. And I know like a lot of guys chirp him because of his, you know, what he, he's very self-deprecating. He's like, that guy was an incredible hockey player. And I, I knew that I saw him play in the minors before I went to the UK. I played against him in the ECHL and, and again, and, and with him in the AHL. And he, and when he was in the ECHL, he was the best defenseman in the league by far. And he was beating everyone up. This guy was like unbelievable. And, you know, people forget that because he ultimately turned into a fourth line fighter type player but super talented guy I knew he'd do really well and I think he had over two points a game with us um, which you know led all NHL players in Europe <laughs> that year including some bigger names that were playing in other teams um, so he he did great and I wasn't surprised but um, you know I, I actually reached out to him via Facebook I didn't have his phone number at the time that's how it started of all things and I couldn't believe he replied right away and his reply was you can get me a job and I was like Yes. So he was looking for a job. I don't think he had too many suitors. He's not like the European type player, but I knew he would do uh, really well in that league. And he loved his time in Cardiff from, from what I remember. And uh, he's such a good guy. I mean, every time I go back to Arizona, I reach out to him. I've been out back there. I was there last year and I was there a few years ago. And a few years ago, I was able to meet up with him. Um, um, and he, he, you know, he got us tickets to a game and we went out after and it was good to see him again. Yeah, it was kind of wild because at the time, obviously, social media was kind of still fairly new. Yeah. And I was on the trip. I was in Toronto uh, with my family. And I, next morning, I was up really early because jet lag and stuff. And I had the Toronto Star. And I yeah. mentioned Biz Nasty. And they said that Cardiff are now the biggest team in Europe, the most high profile <laughs> team in Europe, based yeah. upon something Biz Nasty with his 300,000 Twitter followers, which I guess in them days was, yeah. was kind of a big deal. Um, move on to the second season. As you said, you came back, you lowered to Cardiff. And, uh, there's a few interesting things happening, should we say, uh, in Cardiff that season. Yep. Um, fair play to you guys. You had like different players living in each other's houses week after yeah. week. Do you want to talk a little bit about what went on that season and, and, and how it came about that come January, you were kind of forced to leave because that was a terrible season. It was a shocking decision. Yeah. And the fans were kind of pissed off at the time when that happened. Yeah, I think, you know, it was, it was a tough season. I think we had high expectations. We got off to a rough start. We had a great goalie that year in Dan LaCosta. Uh, unfortunately for him, he got two concussions early on and, and, uh, wasn't able to continue playing. And then it was a revolving door of goalies after that. And it was very difficult to, 
to find one that would work for us. I thought Whitley came in and did a pretty good job for us at the end of the year, but the year was pretty much over by the time um, he came in. Um, you know, I, you know, going back, I think what happened for me, the, the part that I think what, what, what uh, maybe why they wanted me to move on was Dan had a, there was a situation where the owners wanted to get rid of Dan LaCosta while he was on his um NBA package and we had a conversation about this because you know he couldn't play right and their attitude was well if you can't play like we need another goalie we can't afford to have two and I understood that but I I, for me I just wanted to defend my teammate and my friend Dan and make sure you know his deal was honored Um, I thought it was important not just for Dan but I made it clear to uh, Paul Reagan that you know if you if you do this you're going to have a very difficult time getting players on that NBA package going forward, knowing that if they don't play well or get hurt, you're just going to get rid of them. Like you need to consider the future as well. Right. And I know it was challenging for the club at the time. They weren't making the money the club does now and to keep both. And I get all that. And, you know, as a team, we were willing to sacrifice whatever that meant for the team, meaning maybe we're not going to refill it with a, a goalie as caught like Dan's caliber. And we understood that, but for us, it was more important that Dan, you know, was taken care of first and foremost is because he was injured. And then two, you know, being able to continue on with his NBA, I thought that was important for the reputation of the club itself. And uh, so there was a meeting where Dan was asked to meet with Reagan <laughs> and uh, Dan called, I think he called Mac first because Mac was the captain, but Mac couldn't go. I think he had some of, you know, Mac, he was always running around, had something to do. He was probably doing a charity event. <laughs> and Mac Mac asked me and, and, and no Mac was incredible when he was there he was I don't know how he did everything he did but so he asked me to go and I was more than happy to go and and, and support Dan and, and I took Andrew Lord with me as well so it's myself Andrew Lord in there uh and when, when Reagan, I remember when Reagan walked up and saw Dan me and Lord all with him he was like oh shit because <laughs> he thought it was going to be something different than it was and we basically said that, you know, we were going to stand by Dan. If you got rid of Dan, then you can count on us leaving as well. And, you know, we were going to support, support Dan, um, Dan in any way possible. So I don't think they were too happy with me after that uh, for obvious reasons. So, you know, I think there it was an opportunity for them to get rid of me in February. I think a player on Sheffield left, uh, if I remember correctly, went to Italy and then they inquired about me. And of course, Cardiff season was basically done at that point um they still could have made the playoffs i didn't want to leave i mean i gosh thanks for having me on i mean i still run into people that think that i left for sheffield for more money which is hilarious <laughs> if, you, if you knew how much we got paid but uh, it definitely wasn't more money and it, i didn't want to go at the time um i didn't have a choice i woke up the next day like the day before i probably told us before too you know he's Hope came in the room and said, if we win tonight in Fife, we will, everyone keeps their job. I just talked to Reagan. No one's going on the deadline. That was their, that was their incentive to get us to win. And we had a big comeback win. And I actually scored the overtime winner uh, on a four on three, if you remember. Yeah. And, and then I, I maybe celebrated as hard as I ever did as a card of devil. I never really liked to showboat, but I did it a little bit towards the bench. And maybe they didn't like that also. Cause I, um because the next day i was gone so um, i was as surprised as anyone else to to find out that i got traded in the league without trade so 
Um, it ended up working out for us, obviously, but um, in Sheffield, but uh, I didn't want to leave at the time. I remember, well, you know, you and I spoke quite a few times. I know the truth and, and certainly yeah. people I knew that would query that move. I was putting them right at the time. And, and yeah. I, it's, it's, it's like you mentioned, I remember like you and I were speaking in the bar in, in Edinburgh on the Sunday and, as you say, you, you won those games when you score the goal in five and you're pulling the badge, you know, you're sort yeah. of making a real point yeah. like, I love playing for this club. And Pope was actually sort of maybe six feet from us, just glaring us the whole time. So, <laughs> yeah, he was looking for a reason to get rid of you and he didn't yeah, really get the so. excuse yeah. he had. Um, but yeah, obviously it worked out fine for you. Of course, you went up to Sheffield as heartbreaking as it was yeah. for me at the time. Um, and yeah. obviously he followed you. And then you went on to uh, to, to claim some, some silverware at the end of the season. Um, yeah. It must have been a bit of a weird feeling going from the emotions you were going through week in, week out in Cardiff to playing for an organisation yeah. which at the time was treating people properly and they were a winning organisation. It must have been a great way to finish a very tough year for yourself personally. Well, Sheffield had their own things going on there too. I mean, although they were pretty high in the league at the time, they, they ended up firing the coach, uh, Doug Christensen, shortly after I got there too, right? Which came as a big surprise and was tough for us. And we had Steve Gortzen coaching us for a couple of weeks. And that's when G came in, right? And I couldn't believe it when G came in. I was like, wow, this is getting weird. So we have G now and I'm here and Phil's here. Phil Hill, yeah. You could just kind of feel something special was happening. You just like something wasn't like the stars were aligning. And the fact that we won on the ice there in front of Reagan and Pope uh, watching G lift, lift the cup with Phil and myself was uh, definitely, you know, pretty exciting. And, and having, Faulkner, Faulkner was commentating that game on the TV. That was his first game as a commentator. So he got to commentate my first uh, pro championship. So it was a great feeling to win the pro championship. Obviously, it would have been nice to do that with Cardiff as well. But, um, you know, to get to do that with that group of guys. And they're a great group of guys um, there as well at, at Sheffield. I really enjoyed playing on that team. And, and um, you know, they had, a, they had a special room and the guys really cared for each other. So it was, it was fun to be a part of that group. Chris, we used, you mentioned about uh, Doug Christensen being in and then Jared yeah. Adams quickly followed. Yeah. But you were thinking, what what the hell is going on here? What have I let myself into? Yeah, it was a bit weird, to be honest with you. And I knew, you know, G had just, um, I had been talking to G, so I kind of knew it might be coming, but I was like, really? This is kind of weird. And he had just injured, him, injured himself really badly as well, um, falling off a roof. And I remember when he came in the first day, uh, to talk to all of us, he was on crutches, right? In Sheffield. Right. And it was a big, you know, I thought he did a good job of, of coming in there and, and really grabbing hold of that group, like right away. And then the guys really respected him and he had a great, um, you know, career in Sheffield as well. I believe they won the championship the next year as well. Yeah. And then he got, and then he got fired again. <laughs> it's just like, such a cruel, cruel sport. Um, especially for the coaches. And, you know, I don't envy the guys that coach guys like Lordo and, and all those guys. I don't think people realize the grind that those guys go through. It's weird. Doug Christensen was respected. He, he used to manage Edinburgh, the lower budget team. And yeah. Then he was in Balfour. Then what was the shift in the, the, the changing room from when Gerard come in? Because it was a very yeah. mixed locker room. You had some very skilled players, Jeff Legree, Stefan Meyer, you had a lot yeah. of toughness in in Spencer. And then, uh, you came in as well. What yeah. did you notice? I know you were only there a couple of weeks before Joe came in, yeah. but did it really lift him? Because obviously you did go on to win the playoffs that year. Well, I really liked Doug and I, I'd played against him before. I knew a bit about him. Um, never been coached by him. I thought he was extremely professional, extremely knowledgeable, uh, spoke well, was very motivating, good coach, very X's and O's, very like North American style, like, 
you know, lots of meetings, lots of just very being prepared, right? And G is more of like a laid back kind of old school coach in comparison, right? And I think maybe that's what that group needed at that time. They, they maybe they, you know, for me it was new and it was a, it was refreshing to to have a coach like Doug. But then you know I you know maybe for the other players that had him for a few years they needed a new voice. Like sometimes that happens in hockey. But Doug's that guy that guy's a great coach and and uh, super knowledgeable. Um, I'm not sure what he's doing now. I think last I checked he was either like the director of an entire league in the yeah, u.s if i remember correctly and college league yeah yeah he, i mean he, you know he's going to be successful wherever he goes a guy like that so um you know it was surprising to me but i mean of course i had comfort with g um you know so much so i remember our first uh penalty shootout uh he put me first <laughs> and i remember thinking oh gosh i'm new on the team and they're already putting me out here first and because of my old coaches here i wonder what the guys are thinking but Thank goodness I scored. So uh, I felt better about it after that. But, you know, it was, I think it was, you know, a good move bringing him in and, and they needed to change. And and that's, you know, I think, I think I brought a different energy as well, having being a new guy and help them uh, kind of get over the hump there, that team. And you go from the BBT to the Sheffield. Yep. I, I know Cardiff have completely turned it around, but yeah, what, yeah. Explain the differences and how yeah. you treated and how you did the, the time with the fans, etc. Because Sheffield, yeah. Sheffield were still a powerhouse, and they especially were over Cardiff back then. Yeah, I know totally. I mean, I obviously you know the arenas are a lot different. The BBT is you know it's it's uh, it's charming. It's it's like you know when I look back, I look back fondly on it. I think it's you know a unique arena that obviously you know had its pitfalls the fact that you could literally just take a knife and walk right through the cut it open and walk in and steal stuff that actually happened when i was there uh you know but you know i you know i think i see where you know fans now some of them say they don't like the new arena they had a lot of access to us in the bbt we were coming straight out into the bar i think that's really important at the minor league level that fans interact with players i really do like you know i just went to a kitchener rangers game for the first time uh, believe it or not, brought my kids. Uh, they're OHL team here, right down the road, and it was fun to watch. But I don't know any of the players on the team, so I'm not like invested, right? But like when I when I moved to Cardiff and I become friends with Jonathan, you know, and and we you know you know hang out outside of the rink, and you know he's invested in the team because he's got relationships with guys on the team, right? And I think if you're trying to grow a game, especially a game like hockey in the UK, that's what you need. So. I think maybe that's something they you know they can improve at the new rink to access to the players. But you know, at the tent they had full access and it was it was a fun place. It was really I mean, I met my wife there too, so I'm kind of fond of it as well. So I, it's kind of sad it's gone. I can't show the kids where uh, where the where we met, but uh you know, I, I, I love the tent. I think there's maybe a pole left somewhere from the original. <laughs> um but yeah, yeah. you're hundred percent right. As a Coventry yeah. Blaze fan, uh, being a rink team to be after the game in the bar yeah. having a chat with the players that makes such a difference and I was chatting yeah. to a Nottingham Panthers fan and they did some work for us and they came to our wards do and they were like we don't get this with our team um, so yeah. that is the massive difference I mean sometimes it works against you we know yeah. what fans are like at certain times but yeah no, yeah. Uh, I think that's a very good point I think the UK does a great job of it, um, you know, with the fan clubs and and the way that they let the fans kind of run a lot of the off-ice activities. I think that's not something you see in North America. It's something I think a lot of minor league teams should probably adopt if they're not doing it already. And, 
Um, even at the NHL level, I think at the NHL level, it's access is even harder, right? Cause they feel like they probably don't need it. They're, they're, you know, they are what they are and people are going to watch regardless, but certainly at the lower levels that, that fan interactions is very critical. Take it back a little bit now, Chris, when you left Sheffield, um, not sure how can you had to talk about this, but I remember sure. when obviously left in the summer, um, you were carrying a little bit of an injury and a certain journalist has been quite, um, <laughs> Topical, should we say, um, yeah. recently yeah. put out a story that really pissed you off because it implied, yeah. obviously, you were pretty much, you were done, your, your shoulder was was ruined, and it probably put some teams off signing you that summer. Yeah. How much do you think that influenced your ability to, to sign for another team? Because, of course, you went, went to Dundee, but I'm sure, having come off yeah. the back of a championship, you may have had maybe aspiration to maybe staying in Sheffield or maybe going to a bigger club. Do you think that really hurt you at the time in terms of getting a, another yeah. job within the league? I think it did. I think, um, you know, I did have an offer from Sheffield right away that I said I wasn't ready to make that commitment. And I think maybe they weren't happy about that. Um, one of the reasons was, you know, I was talking to Franny at the time about coming back to Cardiff. You know, he was working with the new owners to get the new, the, the new team. And, you know, I was waiting for that. I did have offers from other teams to leave and, and go play for them. Um, Brayhead was one of them. Um, and then of course Dundee and, and, um, and then Sheffield, but, you know, I really wanted to come back to Cardiff. Um, so that was a tough time for me too. And then, you know, that article comes out, it's like, I never even talked to the guy and, you know, it wasn't true. I mean, yeah, yeah. I'd had shoulder issues in the past, but you know, it wasn't something that was going to prevent me from playing like the next year. I was completely fine at the time and I wasn't getting surgery. Like the article said, (laughs) I think the article actually said he may or may not have had surgery. I was like, what kind of, what kind of statement is that? So I'm like, but you know, to be fair, the UK was interesting. There was a lot of times I read articles in the papers. I don't want to name names or anything, but they have interviews with me and I never talked to anybody. And it wasn't even me talking. Like clearly it wasn't me. It was like, they're using like Welsh slang. I'm like, I don't even say those words. I don't even know what they mean. Like, and you're quoting me. So very interesting the way uh, the news works over there. It's a little different than in North America. I think you'd get charged with libel for a lot of that stuff. I don't think it's as wide open as the tabloids are in the UK to, to say what you want. But, um, you know, I don't know. It was, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how much. I know teams mentioned it to me and I said it's not true. But, you know, it might have affected their maybe they made, maybe they would have made them think twice about it. I don't know if that's why Cardiff ultimately didn't sign me either. I don't, I, I'm not sure. I think, I don't think that's the reason, but um, you know, the main reason why, you know, I ended up in Dundee was I was waiting for Cardiff for till probably end of July. Um, yeah. And then I, there was that big, uh, you know, welcome to the new owners and Oh, by the way, we signed 10 players. So I was like, what? <laughs> I had no clue. So it was surprising to me and, you know, and I saw some of the guys they signed like Brent Walton. I'm like, well, there's my position. So probably not going to want me anymore. And and that's the case. So, um, but, so I ended up in Dundee, which was, you know, a good experience. I did enjoy playing there. It was a lot of fun, uh, nice town. And, you know, obviously we struggled. Um, we had, uh, we had so many injuries and guys retiring. It was crazy. We were down to like 12 guys. We were literally playing two lines for most of that year so. The joke, we call ourselves the Dundee 12. That was the joke. <laughs> That's about how, how things still work on Dundee these days, to be fair. To get 12 skaters, they've done pretty well. Times have yeah. changed. The, 
too yeah. much, but no, to be fair, that's maybe a bit of a bit cruel on my part, to be fair. It's tough to go play against like Sheffield who's rolling four lines and they're like foaming at the mouth and you're 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 rolling two and you're exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, playing forty five minutes a night, you're yeah, playing yeah. goals, you're playing lefty, you're playing right wing, you're doing everything, you felt the killing, your yeah, power yeah. plays first power play. But one of the guess one of the highlights of of your time in the UK was obviously got to represent your dad's so nation of yeah, GB. Yeah. Obviously Dave Great guy, I love Dave. Um, obviously, and I allowed him to play for for GB. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, he, he he's cooked for me and stuff, and his mum's cooked for me. I'm not going to not love them. I've had dinner they with them several times. Oh yeah, for yeah. yeah. He came down from uh, yeah. from Cambridge to take me to yeah. to the house and cook for me. So I love, and your mum made that amazing, amazing cheese dip. You know, and I always have to talk right. about food on the pod. Scott hates me talking about food, so it's an excuse to yeah. talk about food. But yeah, obviously, when I got across the Eindhoven, we went got to see you play over in Eindhoven. Obviously, you qualified yeah. uh, for GB through your dad's. Talk about that experience. I know you were so proud to represent your dad's home yeah. nation, and you played as as tough as if you're British by by birth. You know, it really meant yeah. a lot to you to play in that tournament, and ultimately, we just missed out, of course, on promotion yeah. that year. But it must have meant a lot of you to have your dad and your mum there as well to uh, see you play for your national team. Oh, for sure, and, and thank you again for um, you know. My, my parents still talk about this day riding that the bus to Coventry with you guys. That they had oh, such yeah. a fun time. <laughs> so they couldn't believe it. That was like their that was the most fun they had, I think, in Europe, uh, was was riding that bus with you guys. So thank you for that. But yeah, you know, getting the call to represent GP, it was so exciting for so many reasons. And you know, it was a little nerve-wracking. I, I had a call with Pete Russell before that, and he actually wanted me to kind of tell him what it would mean to me, right? Because there was a lot of talk on whether they should even you know sign me because I was a dual national. They didn't want any dual nationals at the time. So I gotta, I gotta say thanks to to uh, Peter Russell there for, um, you know, for giving me the opportunity. Um, but yeah, for it's something I always wanted to do since I was a little kid. You know, when you're growing up in Canada, obviously you want to play for Canada, of course, too. And uh, obviously that in hockey is like trying to play soccer for England, right, or football, excuse me. And um, and uh, you know, so when I found out that I was eligible to be a, a British citizen, I could play for the national team. That was a goal of mine for for the longest time, and um, to get the opportunity to do that was amazing. And and the games, just to see the other uh, British players that I'd played against over the years, like elevate their game. Like you're talking, like it, it is a different feeling when you're lined up against another country and everyone elevates their game. It's such a weird and cool feeling that I'll never forget. And yeah, I mean, we were so close. We just had to tie that last game. I think they got a late goal there. And I think we outshot them something crazy, like 45 to 18 and we lost three, two, you know, and that, and Bouncy played great too. None of the goals were his fault, but that other goal, he played incredible too. Like they, they had the Swedish elite league goalie. Can't remember his name, but um, yeah, it was disappointing. And I think if we would have won, I think I would have played another year and, and uh, rode that. Uh, my goal was to get to the top level and play against Canada and, that kind of solidified my decision to retire at the time that, that, um, you know, we didn't win that tournament, unfortunately. So I thought we were going to win it. I thought we had a great tournament and even the pre-tournament we, uh, in Coventry, we played Poland and in Nottingham and we, we beat them pretty badly both games. So, you know, I, we were pretty pumped going into that tournament that we were going to win. With your decision to retire, Chris, how has it been? You know, you, you, you enjoy life, uh, playing yeah. hockey. It's just something you love and, I yeah. think we don't really talk about or concentrate on the transition into real life. So what yeah. is Chris Blight today? 
Well, I'm a dad. I got uh, two kids. You can probably hear my daughter. She just came in. She's crying a little bit. She's only two. My son's four. We're gonna have to go get him from school here pretty soon. And um, it's great. Life's great. Uh, obviously, married Sarah, uh, a, an amazing Cardiff girl. So I was really fortunate to to meet her on my time over there. I never thought I'd marry uh, a woman from Wales when growing up, but uh, it's funny how life works out. I said this at my wedding too. I literally had to be good enough and at the same time also bad enough to play hockey in Wales. So it was pretty pretty small window to get in there and meet her, right? And uh, you know, it's you know, life's good now. It's um it's different. Obviously, you don't have those same highs that you have when you score a big goal in front of the crowd and all that. That kind of feeling is very difficult to get. You get enjoyment in, uh, through other things watching your kids grow up and and watching you know spending time with them and you know in now i mean i work in sales um i've been doing medical sales uh for the last eight years i'm with a different company now than i was previously i'm doing um ppe sales which is masks gloves gowns and things like that into hospitals and for me it's a great change um my previous role i was on call a lot getting called in the middle of the night to be in the or operating room for surgeries, um, supporting those teams. But, you know, with the young family, it's very hard. So for me to make this transition has been great. And honestly, life's really good. It's, um, you know, it's, it's hard when you're first moving out of hockey, it's hard. It's a, it's a very difficult transition. I don't think even for, you know, you know, someone like myself or Mac that were well prepared for it, you know, had our education, it's still not easy. And there's a lot of guys that don't prepare for it and don't have the education and it's even harder for them. Um, and not all of them, some of them, you know, do really well with it, but you know, it's not an easy transition because you're literally entering the workforce, you know, in your thirties and you're competing against 20 year olds and it's a bit different. Right. So um, I think, you know, I, it's something I stressed about for many, many years because I couldn't picture a life without hockey, but you knew it was coming of course. But now that, I'm in my everyday life now. Hockey, I don't really think about it as much as I thought, to be honest with you. Like, it's like something that I I did previously. You know what I mean? It's like another life. It's like, I can't believe that I did that sometimes, right? And the other day when I was playing men's league, I got invited out to this, a really good skate that jokingly, I was joking with the guys. Like, I, I couldn't even make this skate in town here when I was playing in the AHL. That's how good this skate was. And they they finally gave me the invite at 40, uh, to come out and play with all these young kids. And it was an amazing skate, right? Um, but the first time I was out there, I felt terrible. Like I hadn't skated in like four years. I was like dizzy, out of shape. I'm like, what is going on? Like somebody literally paid me to do this like five years ago or six years ago. <laughs> I can't even, I can't even take a pass right now. Like what's going on? And then, and then you go out a couple more times and you get your muscle memory back and then you feel really good again. And then you, you know, it's, it's, uh, it comes back quick, but, um, that first few skates was very difficult because, you know, obviously with COVID, everything kind of shut down. I just didn't play at all for like four years. So, um, it's good to be back on the ice. I, I had to skate this summer once a week and, and, um, unfortunately our winter skates canceled this year. So I don't know if, where I'm going to skate this winter, but, um, yeah, I do miss it. I do miss the guys, but, um, you know, life's great right now the way it is and looking forward to watching my kids, uh, you know, do their activities, whatever it may be one day. It's good to see you smiling and, and yeah. talking positively about it. But talking about, I mean, it's been eight years since you left. Yeah. Crazy. Still keep, still keep up with the elite league who you're still talking to and that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, yeah, no, I always, you know, see how Cardiff's doing. I want to see how, how things are going and um, just kind of keep an eye on the league. Obviously, it's been in the news this week and, you know, it's tough. We were at the Rangers game, uh, like I said before, uh, on Saturday and all the kids, uh, they're under 20, so they're, they're all wearing neck guards now. So that what happened there this week has reverberated across the hockey, the whole world, really, not just the hockey world and and hopefully change for the better and, and, and for protection of players, um, you know. But, um, yeah, I still try to keep up with everything and uh, um, here and there when I get a chance. But obviously, as you guys know, when you got kids and you're working, it's, it's a pretty busy life compared to being a pro hockey player when we're literally just sitting around all day <laughs> with all the time, time. It's the best job in the world, Chris, being a dad. You know that. Obviously, yeah, yeah. You, you know, learn for nothing. Chris, I know you've got to go and do your dad duties now. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks Pleasure having you having on. Me. Great to sort of catch up on stuff and uh, – Good luck for the future and, and love to the family as well. Thanks, guys. And I'll let you know when I'm back in Cardiff uh, in the new year. Yeah, there. sounds good. Cheers, Chris. Try, buddy. Thank you, Chris. Right. Take, Take care. Bye bye.